Hi, this is Farah Osbeck. Welcome back to Military Law and Life Matters, the podcast that arms you with knowledge so you don't become a victim of injustice. Very happy to be back. I'm really excited. I'm enjoying talking about these cases, and I'm really hoping it's providing you some valuable information, some insight into how the boards are thinking, the boards of review um, that, you know, all the boards that review these cases for the Air Force, the Army, the Navy, the Coast Guard. And uh, yeah, again, I'm going to put the link for that site, but there's a site you can go to and actually read the cases yourself. But I'm just, you know, reading the cases and then picking out some interesting ones that can be like teaching points for you to kind of share some information with you. And hopefully you can benefit from that when you're doing your application to decide, um, yeah, I mean, I think I have a case or I don't have a case. I don't have, when I say cases, I really don't have any issues that can merit upgrade. Um, and also you'll just learn some different concepts while we're talking about these cases, um, different discharge concepts that I'll talk about as it applies to a discharge. So that's my hope with this because, you know, I'm hoping you could maybe put your own application together. It's not, you know, sometimes there's complicated cases. You may need help, but sometimes not. And if you're just truthful and uh, talk honestly about what happened and if there's, um, you know, issues that need to be addressed, I think you have a chance. And especially these PTSD cases, if you have diagnosed PTSD, the liberal guidance um, that applies to that, PTSD and all mental health, other mental health conditions. And I'm doing a lot of podcasts with those. I have materials on my website on that. Um, yeah, you're always welcome to, you know, talk to a lawyer and maybe, you know, hire an attorney to do it. But as I've said before, I'm, you know, pretty much... Um, as a solo practitioner, have a lot of clients, so can't take many cases at all since I'm still finishing up cases. But my hope is that you can maybe do this yourself. So that's my goal. But again, you may need to have to reach out for assistance as well. Um, let, let me talk about this case today. It's an Air Force case. Um, it's a short case. It's got some really good teaching points in it. But it's an, a case where this young airman. Um, she enlisted in the Air Force, and it seems like in basic training, she came up with some medical issues. So she was discharged with an entry-level discharge, and the narrative reason was erroneous entry. Okay, so the first thing is, why did she get an entry-level discharge? Well, anyone actually in any service who has been in 180 days or less is going to be discharged with an entry-level separation. By definition, the regulation has a provision that says if you're un in under 180 days, that's what you're going to get regardless. Now, there is an exception I'm going to talk about, but that's what you're going to get. It's not a bad thing. It's not bad or good. You can't get anything other than that. Unless, so here's the unless, unless you do something bad, unless you commit misconduct. So if you are in 180 days or less and use cocaine, you're going to probably be court-martialed. Um, probably be court-martialed. I've seen one time someone got a discharge um, that was like, they got an administrative discharge, but there's no way you're going to get an entry-level separation for drug use, even if it's marijuana. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a case because that's a mandatory discharge unless it's they're not going to waive that in any way and retain you if you're in basic training. So again, you get an entry-level separation, 180 days or less, unless you commit misconduct. That is, they're like, no, we're going to discharge you, like drug abuse, you know, something bad. You assault someone. I mean, you like commit 
armed robbery. I mean, you're going to be court-martialed then, okay? So you're not going to get entry-level separation for serious offenses. You might be court-martialed and you might be discharged with a general or OTH. But if it's run-of-the-mill something, usually injuries are the times when this occurs. In my experience, usually it's some type of medical issue. That's not always the case. It's usually, though, medical issues where this happens. Okay. In this case, she was discharged for erroneous entry. What does that mean? So erroneous entry is a provision, the the regulation that says if the Air Force had known about this person's condition, in this case, it was a medical condition. If they had known about it, the Air Force would not. So if they knew the true facts of her medical condition, she would not have been able to enlist in the Air Force. Okay, so that's what erroneous enlistment is. And it, it doesn't allege that this person fraudulently like lied about something when she came in. So they just assume that the Air Force either didn't get it in their medical exam, they didn't realize she had this condition, but they're not saying she knew about it either. Okay, that's why she got an entry level. If they thought it was a fraudulent where she knew she had like documented, she's been in the doctor for some very serious issue like back problems and she you know she's been going to the doctor for years never told anyone and the air force like didn't catch it on their exam that they do their meps exam then she would have a fraudulent entry discharge which is worse you know fraud and and probably a general discharge there's no no way you're going to get an entry level for that i don't think i've ever seen it you know, maybe they would if they just want to quickly do it, but it's it's generally a general discharge or it could be OTH if it's really serious, but usually it's a general discharge in my experience. So in this case, they didn't say she fraudulently did it, that, but they're just saying she had something and she, you know, didn't know about it. But if we knew about it, the Air Force, we wouldn't have allowed her to enter. So that's why it says erroneous entry. The other thing is now, see, she's saying, well, I should get an honorable. Okay. That's impossible. I get this a lot. I, you know, that's why I want to talk about this. I get my calls and emails on this and I just like cite the reg and send it back to the person and say, this is not bad. It's not bad. It's not good. It's nothing. It's neutral. This is what you get if you're in 180 days or less. So you can't get an honorable. It's impossible. Don't waste your time. But she was trying to get a, um, you know, didn't know again, she didn't know better. So she's just saying, well, this was unfair because she's saying after she got out, she went to the V. And the VA diagnosed with her with some service-connected disability. So she said, you know, that she had scans done while she was in the Air Force at Lackland Air Force Base, which showed she had a bulging dish, dish, ah, <laughs> bulging disc and arthritis. So she's kind of alleging you could tell that I got this injury while I was at, I'm assuming basic training, because that's where Lackland Air Force Base is. So she's saying, I know I got this, it was service-connected. Um, and the air force like concluded, well, look, you were in 180 days or less. You're this, there's no error in, um, in, well, for the DRB, there's no, um, inequity or impropriety. That's what they concluded. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure, like she's saying, you know, she's saying I have x-rays and scans showing this bulging disc kind of saying this happened at Lackland and they're from Lackland air force base. And they just concluded, well, no inequity and propriety. We can't change it to an honorable. Now, the interesting thing about this is, you know, I don't know. Like, they just assume, let's say she had something. She was perfectly healthy before she entered and got, let's say she got this very serious injury. You know, she broke her back and was, God forbid, had very, very serious disability that she can never, like, this is going to be a drastic example to just 
her teaching point to like where it's like she can never walk or something. Then, I mean, maybe there's a possibility she could have got like a medical discharge or, or retirement. Like that's a separate issue. I don't do those cases by the way. So I'm really not an expert in that, but I don't know if that's what she was trying to get to. But if she were those cases, the discharge review board does not handle. It goes to the board for correction of military records. The board, the DRB cannot, uh, you know, do like medical retirements, things like that. They only can do the upgrade. So that's that case. The teaching point is if it's just purely something, you know, you, you were in 180 days or less and you got discharged, you can't get an honorable, you know, again, from this write-up, it's not so clear of, you know, they didn't really analyze, or at least it's not written here as to, you know, she's saying whatever I got, I got at basic training and the Air Force is kind of concluding you had something before perhaps. And if we knew, that's what they're saying. If we knew that you had this, whether it was the arthritis or whatever it is that she was done, then we would not have even allowed you in. So that's what the Air Force is including. But that's that case. Um, again, entry-level separation, you can't get an honorable unless you commit misconduct, and then you could get court-martialed or get a general or OTH discharge. Um, that's that case. Uh, again, it's a, it's a common thing. A lot of people at basic training get discharged for entry-level separation. Um, you know, due to like medical stuff or they just get hurt there, like minor things and they can't finish it. So it it happens a lot and it's, you know, it's, it's nothing, hopefully that doesn't affect their future life because it's like they tried good on them. You know, it's really good that they tried and they, you know, enlisted. I mean, I was an officer, so I didn't go to basic training. We did have some, we did have officer training where we did other stuff, but, um, so anyway, okay, so that's that case. I hope that's going to be helpful for you to just understand the entry-level thing because there's a lot of people out there with entry-level separations. Okay, so I'm excited to talk about my um, life lesson today because I had to do a little bit of research on that because the concept I want to talk about is something called burn the ships, burning the ships. You've probably heard of that, and I didn't know where that came from, so I Googled it. And just from an entry in Wikipedia or something like that. I'm assuming this is correct. If it's not, it's what I saw on the internet, but it's a good example. So it says burning the ships came from uh, um, something where in 1519, Hernan uh, Hernan Cortez landed in what's now Mexico, Veracruz, now known as Mexico. And they, he and his 600 men, his little army, went to overthrow the Aztecs so they can basically take their gold and silver. And what he did is he had someone like burn all their ships. I don't know how many ships he had, but he burned them. So their 600 men had no way of returning. So if they lost, they were going to be like stuck there and killed. Or He had it burned because he, he was thinking as their leader that I want to make sure that they fight, go all in and know that if they don't win, they're going to be stuck there and face a bad um bad future. So he basically wanted um, their, his army not to try to retreat and like run away, but go all in and, you know, go down fighting basically. So there was no turning back. And that's what the burning the ships comes from. So it's like basically having no other option. And we're just, you know, you have no other exit strategy. They can't like run away and retreat. Um, where does this apply to? It could apply to, let's say you're starting a business, but you have like, you really want to go in all on this little business you want to start, but you're like doing a couple of other side things. And those side things are distracting you and you don't like stop it because it's maybe generating some income, 
But then that prevents you from going in all on this big project that you really want to go in on. So that, that's an example. It could apply to other things, but I think of it commonly as like a business thing where you're going in all in on something. Um, yeah. And, and basically what people do is they burn the ship. Like they take away that little side income or whatever so that they don't have that to fall back on. Because if you have something to fall back on, sometimes it prevents you from then going forward into the thing you want to pursue. So it, it is a strategy. It's a good heuristic. I mean, obviously you have to look at your personal situation. If you need, you know, income obviously coming in to support your family and kids, you know, you have to certainly take that into consideration, but it's something to think about. I mean, I really think it works. Like if you burn all the ships, like you have no way of turning back and you go all in and maybe work harder than you would ever do. So nice little lesson for me. I did not know where that came from. So I learned something new. I'm assuming it's correct. Um, interesting story that he did that. Um, I have to Google some other sources, make sure this is correct. But anyway, I think you get the point. I really like that. And I hope it taught you something. So um, that is my life lesson, life tip for you, uh, burning all the ships. Again, this, you know, it's not going to probably apply if you have a nine to five job. You, you should be going all in on that job. Um, and yeah, you can't ignore that. But if you have other um, side job, I mean, some people have full-time jobs and then they have side businesses. By the way, if you're in the military, make sure you get an off-duty employment. You you have to get permission to do, I just thought of that because as a JAG, we used to get, we used to have to do legal reviews on that. You know, you, you can't obviously have a part-time job, off-duty employment where you're working like 40 hours a week because that's going to have a negative impact on your military job. So there is in every service, let's, let's get off-duty employment and we used to get them um, yeah, do doctors seem to do that sometimes, like on weekends, they would like work at ERs or just anyone like can have off duty, you could like be an airman and then working at like a Walmart or something, you know, just off duty employment to supplement your income or a little business you have. So make sure you get permission because you know what, if you don't, you're going to get in trouble. That's you can get uh, adverse action for that. Anyway, I went on a bunch of tangents here, but just when I think of things, I kind of throw it out there. So I hope it's helpful because as a lawyer, I know this stuff, but you may not know it. Um, you know, usually they brief new people coming in on those type of roles, but maybe someone may not know that. So anyway, I really enjoyed talking to you and sharing with you this case. And um, I really enjoyed telling you this life lesson. I hope that's helpful for you. I look forward to talking to you next time. Again, as always, never, ever give up because there is always hope. I look forward to talking to you next time. Take care.